You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains, DLTs, and cryptocurrencies. In today's episode, we'll be taking a detailed look into the blockchain project Horizon, which describes itself as the world's most secure, interoperable blockchain ecosystem. Recently, Horizon launched its sidechain platform Zendu, that leverages zero-knowledge proofs to provide a fully decentralized and customizable solution for businesses and developers to create blockchain applications. To discuss the workings of the platform in depth, we are joined by Rob Viglioni, who is the CEO and co-founder of Horizon Labs. Rob, a very warm welcome to you on our show from Nikhil and myself. Krishna Nikhil, thank you for having me. You're very welcome, Rob. So to start off, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and how you got into blockchain and crypto? Sure, yeah. So my, my background professionally starts as a physicist, mathematician. I actually started the first half of my career was with the U.S. Air Force and um, working on satellite programs, really acquiring and building software for satellites and launch vehicles, getting those satellites up into space. And then from there, I went into more of the operational intelligence domain and ended up in Afghanistan, of all places. And it was there that I actually stumbled on this Bitcoin thing. And uh, it, I, I was just enamored with Bitcoin and just it just dawned on me, wow, this is the perfect digital currency for both the modern world and for uh, Afghanistan, or, or like people in, say, more remote uh, developing markets where you have a lot of political or you know, like jurisdictional risk. So I started giving seminars of Bitcoin back back when I was over there and um, teaching people how to set up wallets and, you know, just in general, like what is a, what is a digital currency? What is a Bitcoin? And how do you secure your private keys and, and those kinds of things? From there, I went to academia and got my PhD in finance. So I, I transferred or switched over from you know, hard science to social science. And uh, I, I had a, a ridiculously understanding and uh, I would say nice uh, department in my school that allowed me to continue studying Bitcoin from an academic perspective. So my research area for my dissertation was actually in crypto finance, which initially back in 2014 was crazy. Um, but it was sort of a pet project of let that young PhD student do whatever he wants. It doesn't matter at this stage of his career. So at the end of it, when I finally defended my dissertation, it was, wow, this is the hot topic. What a, what great foresight you had, which I didn't have great foresight. I was just lucky to get in there. But then I, I launched uh, Zencash at the time in 2017, which was really meant to solve a couple of big problems that I saw in the, the Bitcoin world on like long-term sustainability and privacy, which I thought was critical. And then in 2019, launched Horizon Labs, which is a VC-backed software company that builds uh, in, in on the Horizon protocol. Wow, uh, fascinating. I just wanted to quickly just jump in. This is because I'm very curious about this. So you mentioned that you came across Bitcoin in Afghanistan. And I'm curious as to what kind of scenario. So were you, was it kind of being used by the uh, military in the bases for, uh, or, between, for, or, for, or with the locals in Kabul? Or how, how, did, how does that actually work? Because, I mean, from what I understand, Afghanistan is also kind of desperately short of internet access and resources like that, right? 
Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's that um, that weird mix of, you know, it's like the perfect alternative currency and also the, a terrible alternative currency because of the infrastructure. Uh, but no, actually, I, uh, I, I did really get uh, all, I got crazy about Bitcoin before I went to Afghanistan. So actually, this is in 2011. I got really excited about it. And I, I brought that excitement to my my deployment ah, in Afghanistan. Right. Yeah, exactly. Then I was just one of the weirdos um, out there that just was crazy about Bitcoin. Oh wow! Okay, cool. So uh, to talk a little bit about uh, your project right now, uh, that is Horizon. So, like you mentioned, it started off uh, about four years back in 2017. And uh, so, could you talk a little bit about how you got started with Zencash and how it evolved into Horizon? over the past four years and maybe give us a broad idea of what are some of the goals of Horizon as a project today? Yeah, so I, I was just um, really passionate about the privacy aspects of, of really the technology in this industry. Uh, just privacy in general, I'm, I'm a big fan of. I, I think it's a human right and I think that it, it uh, is necessary for just ensuring a whole bunch of positive social things in the world. But specifically in our industry, I got really excited when Zcash uh, brought zero knowledge proofs or SNARKs to the market. I thought it was just a fantastic thing. So really, I was I was probably just um, you know a, an over enthusiastic community member of that that part of the industry uh, back then, and just got together with a, a couple of other or a few other um, very enthusiastic um, community members and engineers, and we we started saying, well, okay, this technology is great, but it's still not hitting the mark of like a complete package of where we think the industry needs to go in say like the next 10, 20 years to be both sustainable, scalable, and then get this like technology, this privacy tech more prominent in the stacks rather than just being kind of like, a, you know, an afterthought for a lot of other projects. So that was in 2017. We launched Zencash and like you said, rebranded to Horizon for, I think, what will become obvious reasons um, as a privacy cryptocurrency. Um, really, we bootstrapped from the Zcash stack. So we, we did that to get good at snarks because they were the first implementation of snarks in, in the cryptocurrency market. And then we also layered in different economics. And really, it's it's also the economic innovation that's really important because it, it takes the basic premise that there are many different types of people that contribute to these distributed systems to build an ecosystem. It's not just like one class of people like miners. So like you take the Bitcoin protocol, miners get you know, um, bet, you know rewarded on the margin for their contribution, and, and that's it. Everyone else is really expected to just contribute of their own goodwill because it's an open source project, because it's changing the world, because it's the best thing since sliced bread. Well, I, I mean, that's why I contributed early on and also like I, I invested early on and, and sure, I, I had a motivation to support it, but that's not a really, that's not an adequate story for what's going to keep these networks growing and successful over the next decade or two decades, right? So that's where Horizon was born. Uh, we, we want to take privacy technology and put that at the forefront of, of the stack so that we can do a whole bunch of interesting things with data privacy. And we can, we can get to that um, later on in the discussion. And we wanted to make sure that the economics was more sustainable so that we're actually rewarding a whole rich ecosystem of contributors, not just miners. And just a, one quick point on that is uh, we were massively successful with one class of uh, one additional class of, of contributor um, node operators. So actually getting people to run our software around the world. We have a massively distributed network with 45,000 nodes running all over the world. So uh, part of it was was a phenomenal success, and we're still working on the other parts to now turbocharge developer contributions. Awesome. Actually, uh, just wanted to kind of elaborate a, a little bit on that. 
So uh, obviously, you basically divided your uh, rewards into 60% for miners, 20% uh, I think for the treasury, uh, and 10% uh, for nodes, and 10% for super nodes. And uh, so a couple of things actually, if you don't mind, could you elaborate a little bit on what is the role and function of the treasury? And is that is that kind of like separately managed? And what is the difference between a super node and a node? Yeah, exactly. So uh, great question. And it goes to the, the idea. So the general premise is we want to reward contribution on the margin. And we know two distinct classes of contributors, miners and node operators. They're, they're easy to identify. And we, we have a rewards program, basically, like we, we siphon the block rewards 60% to miners, like traditional, like uh, Bitcoin, although we're, we're an Equihash based mining uh, algorithm. And then the other is um, it combines 20% to this, you know, two groups of node operators, 10% to just secure nodes and 10% to super nodes. The difference is is, is currently subtle. The, the difference is really like in, in the staking amount. So we want skin in the game to have economic you know, skin in the game. So it's 42 Zen requirement to run a secure node and 500 Zen requirement to run a super node. And then beyond that, we, we have slight differences in like uptime requirements and processing capability. But the reality is the way we enforce that processing capability is if you can process a snark, then you're, you're, you have a sufficient machine on the network that we say, okay, you're sufficiently, um, you know, high quality of a machine. You qualify for rewards. Now, the, the more, uh, nuanced part of this, um, you know, block subsidy distribution is the 20% of the treasury pool. Now this just, it, it, it's a lump sum of 20% to a treasury that gets allocated at currently at the discretion of the Zen Blockchain Foundation, which has an independent board of directors. And it's a traditional kind of like open source foundation that allocates like grants to, to build software, to do community building and all those kinds of things. The, the, the theoretical premise for this is the imperfect contracting problem. We, we don't know ex ante all the different contributors, you know, at least back in 2017, that we need to program in, um, you know, rewards to, to contribute in, in different ways. So basically the way we solve this today on our path to a more formalized DAO is we have a treasury pool and we have a foundation that allocates those rewards. We're constantly decentralizing that. So we're actually launching a Zen uh, Ventures initiative, which is a, a VC consortium that we're going to actually allocate some treasury resources into to like further incentivize VCs to fund startups in our ecosystem and developers. And we also have a grant program. So the grant program is one that we we give grants to developers and other contributors to the ecosystem. And then we have a, the, the nonprofit that actually is, is run more like a corporation, a nonprofit corporation that you know, has operations and uses more discretion on how they allocate funds. Great. Yeah, so I think that that's a very good uh, description of uh, the various entities that exist in the ecosystem. And uh, to go a little bit deeper into how Horizon as a blockchain platform works technically and works, what makes it unique, I would like to step into a little bit about what are zero knowledge proofs. And of course, you know, you, you, you take security and privacy very seriously. That's a key area of focus. So, uh, could you tell us a little bit about before you went ahead with the zero knowledge proof tech? Did you look at any other models, like for example, Monero's ring signatures or any other, uh, when, when you're looking at a system that, that, that's privacy focused? Sure, we did. And actually, we use zero knowledge in three different ways on our, in our stack now. And really that, okay, the rewinding a little bit, the, the big problem that we had and why we chose the architecture that we did was, uh, in, in 2017, we were, you, you can, because we bootstrapped from the Zcash stack, we were basically like a version of Zcash initially, right? And with that is, it, that's not 
really a programmable blockchain where you could do smart contracts and you could do different types of conditional logic and, and different computation. It, it's a traditional cryptocurrency. That, that's its, its purpose. From there, it was, okay, our, our initial uh, strategy or vision was, okay, what, what other kinds of privacy tools can we layer in and leverage the network? And we were thinking about things like a DVPN. We were looking at things like a, you know, a, a chat, uh, a chat application, like a privacy preserving chat application. We were thinking about like censorship resistant network tools, but like all of these things were like going down specific like privacy application path. But then we realized there's actually a more elegant architectural way to do this. So let's pause all of those things and now let's, let's, you know, work on actually opening up the stack to be a programmable blockchain. And that's where we came across the idea of, okay, we have a bunch of other uh, infrastructure things that we want to do, like we want to democratize our treasury pool so that our users can actually vote on resource allocations. We want to do a whole bunch of other specific things that you know don't necessarily make sense to code directly into your protocol software, but actually make more sense to do as like um, what we call sidechain applications. So basically, let's open this up. We still have a, a core Horizon blockchain, which is this proof of work Echo hash based, you know, Zcash, Bitcoin heritage, you know, blockchain. But let's actually build an interoperability protocol where we can do different things as side chains. So basically independent blockchains or, you know, in theory, independent computation that just interacts you know, with the, the core horizon blockchain. So that's where the Zendu protocol was born. And this is the thing that we've been working on the last three years and is really the cent, the, the central point of our, our technology. Um, you know, edge is we've built a totally decentralized communication protocol that works with a Bitcoin like blockchain that now enables uh, programmable blockchains that are proof of stake to be launched like really at, at any number. Uh, currently, like our V1 can host up to a thousand blockchains operating in parallel in our network there and, and they all are interoperable with the, the main horizon blockchain. And the main horizon blockchain is really just used as like a, a, a truth verifier. It's really this big public network that its main function is to verify truth and also to uh, state transitions for the cryptocurrency Zen. This used as like the gas on all these other uh, sidechains. So one quick question there, uh, if I could. So one of the general criticisms, and again, like there are many different interoperability solutions out there in the market today, and uh, yours is uh, specifically using sidechains. So one of the general criticisms of the sidechain approach that has been there traditionally is that usually while the main chain is secured by uh, validators, securing all the individual sidechains from something like a 51% attack can become somewhat of a challenge. So how does the Horizon ecosystem work uh, to prevent you know, these various individual sidechains against an attack? Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. The way that we do it really, the, our core innovation is we do uh, snark proofs for state transitions on the side chains. So actually we, we have a cryptographic circuit that does that tracks state transitions on the side chains themselves. And in order to circumvent this and really like hijack that network, you need to not only have a majority of block forgers that you hijack, you know, and, and these are it's proof of stake, these side chains, right? So you need to commit Zen into the side chain. You need to you run block forgers. These are nodes on the network that are uh, processing transactions and forging blocks. And you need to somehow, you know, exploit a bug or, or do something um, to circumvent the cryptographic circuit that enforces the consensus on the sidechains. And that consensus is enforced with, with the cryptographic circuit. And the certificate, the proof, is actually sent back to the main horizon blockchain, the mainnet, and verified on the mainnet. So the Zen that actually is used for like the staking and the gas on all of these sidechains 
it, all, the, the state transitions of all that Zen are recorded in certificates that the rules of that, the consensus on the sidechain are enforced in that, in that circuit. Certificate is sent back to the Horizon mainnet and verified on the mainnet. So the, the entire world on realistically like a separate network, a proof of work network now that would need to be circumvented would actually um, be have to be exploited in order to exploit any of the sidechains. So we guarantee security on the sidechains you know, through a circuit and then certificate sent back to the mainnet. So it's a very elegant way of doing security on the particular sidechain for all of them. And then for doing kind of a global security with the mainnet. So as I understand it, basically you have this cross-chain transfer protocol that you're using and that using some combination of snarks and Merkle hash tree proofs to kind of handle all the state. So, uh, but that kind of, uh, so, so let's say if you imagine a scenario where uh, you have a sidechain and it was created for a particular intent, say, let's say, call it a voting sidechain. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, it had, I don't know, maybe a hundred nodes and uh, a malicious actor came in and kind of uh, did a brute force attack and, and managed to uh, get, say, 51% of the state. Mm -hmm. One, uh, so, so basically uh, from the perspective of the main chain, right, as long as uh, the state transitions are maintained and the value is so you're not doing a double spend per se. Mm -hmm. uh, the malicious actor can basically uh, uh, so you're, you're, you're saying that unless they can circumvent or break that smart proof of the transitions, they mm -hmm. won't be able to modify the sidechain. Uh, is, is that what is, is my understanding correct? That's exactly right. So, and, and really the important point that you honed right in on is this is for state transitions of Zen on that sidechain so that people can't steal, steal a Zen. Now, we are actually talking to um, new design partners and clients for very interesting use cases where, as an example, if you were to issue your own token on a sidechain, just a real simple example, you, you issue your token. Well, you could do that today on a Horizon sidechain, but that token, the state transitions for that token are not actually enforced with with uh, you know a snark circuit at the consensus level yet. So actually, the one, one of the next delivery not not the next next one the next one is actually going to be something called the lattice implementation. The one beyond that, we're going to be working on uh, cryptographic circuits now for um, tokens that are actually uh, created on these sidechains. So as of today, we are uh, protecting via snark the state transitions for Zen. You know, give, give it, you know, say like two, two releases from now and we'll be working on, um, the same type of circuit for other, t other assets issued on these sidechains. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, one, uh, point, uh, one, th uh, one thing I just wanted to kind of clarify. So you had mentioned that, uh, uh, you could create, uh, as up to a thousand proof of stake sidechains, right? Correct. Uh, is is the requirement that they have to be proof of stake or is that uh, something because I, I remember reading in the Zendu paper that I, I didn't remember saying that, okay, there was a requirement that it had to be a particular consensus type, right? You could use, a, I mean, you recommended Orberos uh, and uh, a proof of stake consensus, but uh, the impression that I got was that it was a little bit more flexible. You could You could use maybe a proof of work one if you wanted. No, that's exactly right. So this is actually one of the biggest benefits of the, the Zendu protocol is that it's agnostic to consensus. In fact, you don't even have to run a blockchain. Really, it's just an interoperability protocol where you can have any kind of black box computation on you know off-chain and it could be verified on-chain. 
Um, now, the first implementation for us is using Ouroboros Prowse, uh, modified actually for state succinctness using recursive snarks, kind of like Mina. Um, so th that's the, the particular implementation is proof of stake, um, but that's just the first. And it, you're exactly right. You don't need proof of stake. You could have proof of anything type of uh, you know, blockchains that are operating. In fact, we even have you know, some ideas of, well, we, we could also do um, like, like an Ethereum type of chain. We could do like a, you know, like rather than picking your favorite uh, privacy technology, like, let's not argue on, you know, what snark verifier or, or circuit is, is better than the other. Let's not argue whether it snarks are better than uh, crypto. No, let's not argue any of these things or Mimblewimble. You can implement them all. Like there's no reason, there's no constraint on the type of consensus that you can implement as a horizon sidechain. Now, caveat, caveat, it's still pretty difficult to do like protocol, like consensus level engineering. So yeah. that we, we highly recommend that at least like out of the gate, people use the tools that we provide, um, you're using Ouroboros. Right, so, and, and that, that kind of leads me to the second part, was that, uh, so you mentioned the latest uh, sidechain that you're working on, and uh, that is an implementation of uh, Ouroboros for sort of proof of stake. And, and, the, and the, I think the plan is to kind of provide uh, a toolkit to kind of build uh, sidechains with it. That's exactly right. Yeah, so we, we look at, um, like our product really is an SDK for engineers to deploy their own blockchains using using that consensus. So using a version of Ouroboros modified to be, you know, business time fault tolerant, obviously, right? Um, but then also to use um, uh, recursive snarks for um, state succinctness. So the blockchain database itself doesn't grow in size with usage, which we think is absolutely critical for like long-term, um, you know, scalability in the industry. So we tackle scalability in, in a couple of different ways. Importantly, we have a blockchain of blockchains framework. So like it, the architecture is modular. You can launch your own application specific blockchain. You could do your, your DeFi blockchain, your NFT blockchain. You could do your government country blockchain, whatever you want. Like rather than all trying to use the same, the, the same bandwidth on a single blockchain, that's like the first layer of our scalability. The second is we do we do state succinctness with recursive snarks, so the mm -hmm. databases themselves don't grow in size, and that's also an important element of scalability long term. Since you mentioned many different use cases that are possible, I would like to touch on some of the partnerships that Horizon currently has, and we see that on your website that you have partnered with IOTA. Uh, IOTA, as we know, is a platform that uses the DAG data structure. Yep, and it's focused towards IoT devices. And you're also working with uh, Celsius for DeFi applications. Yeah. So could you just touch upon some of these use cases, uh, focusing on some of your major partnerships? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and we've been a little bit conservative with the partnerships that we've been doing because, on the one hand, like our, we've just finished development of this big platform and protocol, and that's going through third-party audit and and um, integration system testing now. Uh, and we're, it's scheduled for delivery end of Q3. So we're, we're kind of imminently getting ready to deliver this to mainnet through a very rigorous, you know, system of audits and migrations from one testnet to another testnet to mainnet. Um, and that's why we've been, because we're still a little early on the project. And, and this is why I think Horizon goes a little bit underrated in the marketplace today is because we don't have this uh, programmable blockchain platform released on mainnet yet. This has just been a beta product and we've been doing beta product with select design partners like Celsius Network, like Celsius Network. And we've chosen the design partners to be important like verticals that we want to showcase the technology in solving real problems. And the first like um, kind of 
uh, area that our, our BD team started looking for potential use cases was within our own, our own industry, realizing that on the one hand, if we, if we start pitching to enterprises, we need to convince them that first of all, blockchain's important and they should experiment with it. And, you know, a lot of companies know that, but it's still an educational thing. The other right. way of looking at it was, well, the blockchain industry itself knows that the blockchain, blockchain technology is important, but not every blockchain company or protocol can do everything that we can do. So maybe we can partner with some of them to actually solve some of their problems. So the first, and, and I think the most important, like, uh, like, or not important, but like a really interesting use case, also important, um, is uh, Celsius Network. So this is a, D, or a CFI application that, you know, does peer-to-peer lending. So you can, um, you know, commit some cryptocurrency collateral in, into their application, trust the company that they're not, you know, misusing funds, stealing funds, losing funds. And, that, and then when they make loans on the collateral, you need to trust that they actually hold the reserves that they claim they do. And they, they solve this the way a traditional companies solve it with like, third-party audits. You know, so they go and contract with auditors that do their traditional private thing, auditing books, and then they publish reports. What we're building for them, or really with them, and they're the first customer of it, is what we're calling ZK Audit, which is a, a, a zero-knowledge-enabled um, blockchain audit or decentralized audit tool running on a Horizon sidechain. So basically, it runs on a Horizon sidechain. What the sidechain does is it actually reconstructs every Bitcoin transaction on a Horizon sidechain, and it swaps out the cryptography to make it snark friendly. And then Celsius or any other user goes and signs signs uh, messages from addresses that they control. And, and we're starting with Bitcoin because it's the most important uh, collateral they have. They sign they sign transactions from from Bitcoin addresses that they control. Those signatures are recorded in zero knowledge proof, so the world can't see what addresses they control or their institutional clients control or any of the fund flows to any of their clients. So we preserve privacy on the entire, you know, uh, application uh, world. And we can still near real time prove the reserves to the world that Celsius controls, that they actually control the reserves that they claim they do. So it's a really innovative project that makes use of our sidechain protocol and makes use of, you know, this uh, proof of stake sidechain doing something useful, like reconstructing Bitcoin transactions, making them snark friendly. We preserve privacy of all of the fund flows on their network, right? It's just a very elegant um, use case of our, of our stack. Uh, that's a very interesting idea, right? Uh, because if you think about it, Bitcoin is the Bitcoin ledger is one of the most public ledgers out there, right? So and you certainly definitely don't want to advertise the fact that you have scores of bitcoins on a particular address uh, right. and so so that, that's one example and then you can go through the list of a whole bunch of other blockchain partners that we have like iota is another really important one so iota has their tangle and really their focus is on uh, internet of things use cases we're part we've partnered with iota and another large iot uh, hardware provider and network provider called sigfox to create now, like what we provide to like a joint product with them is a privacy layer. So like a horizon sidechain that acts as like a data aggregator and privacy privacy layer to the tangle. So you, you can initially broadcast you know the high volume of IoT um, you know device transactions to the the tangle, and then we can using zero knowledge extract out the ones that that are important to us for particular uses, perform computation and you know using preserving privacy of certain things that we want. And we're starting with like, or at least we're trying to start with a smart city use case in combination with the, with those two other partners. Interesting. One of the things that I just wanted to touch on, like Zcash, you also have two different types of addresses, right? Like you have T addresses mm-hmm. and Z addresses. 
So I believe at, at some point, one of the challenges with Zcash was that there was an increased cost for uh, transactions using Z address. Uh, mm-hmm. is, is that uh, still a problem in, in this model? Uh, no, it's not. And, and in fact, that was it's a legacy of our initial stack that we bootstrapped with. It, it may not, uh, shielded transactions may not always exist on the, the Horizon main net. In fact, I, I think uh, like one solution that we're looking at right now is actually building um, a privacy coin sidechain. So instead of having the shielded the shielded pool on the mainnet directly, you can actually have a sidechain that acts as a shielded pool. Like the entire purpose of the sidechain can be a shielded pool. So you can commit Zen in, into that sidechain and then it's in part of a shielded pool and then you can withdraw that Zen at any point that you want. So it's basically modernizing the concept of a shielded pool and modernizing the concept of a T and Z, uh, Z address that we have currently on the mainnet. Now to your point, the economics of the system, we actually... Um, haven't experienced that type of like shielded address congestion, even though we have a lot of uh, shielded address or um, private transactions broadcast to shielded addresses, because that's how we we verify uh, node operators uh, on our our uh, in our node system. So we actually have a large pool of them, but we've never had um, congestion pricing issues with it. Uh, can you speculate as to you know why uh, is it because your uh, your network is larger uh, than Zcash or is somehow more efficient in some way or uh, what, what do you think is the reason why you don't have that kind of congestion? Um, I, I mean that, that's it's a really good question. I, I wouldn't. I, I mean our network is is larger from the from some some perspectives and maybe smaller in other perspectives than Zcash. I mean. Uh, but in, in terms of like why we've never had those types of issues, I, I mean, one thing that is is related is we have had miners that were kind of a, it, it's like another type of greedy miner problem where in, in order to process blocks, you know, be part of this block block race quicker, more quickly, they were ignoring shielded transactions. It seems wow. like some miners were trying to do that. And then we... Uh, you know, um, th- that, that problem disappeared. But you always see these types of things happening where you have like uh, greedy miners trying to d- you know, do something to gain some competitive edge on the network. But actually now, like uh, we, we don't have any, we haven't had issues on processing shielded transactions on the network really over the last four years. Right, right. So, the, so just to come back to uh, a little bit on the whole side chain, main chain thing, right? So yeah. uh, one of the... Uh, Obviously, there are other uh, interoperability side chain main chain seems to be the flavor of the uh, uh, technology now. Everybody is going to side chain. Uh, one of the things that uh, uh, we had explored a couple of episodes back uh, was where we had talked about uh, and looked into Polkadot and their interoperability solution. And it's a blockchain of blockchains and very similar to, oh, well, I'm not saying it's similar, but very conceptually in the same class where you have mm-hmm. multiple side chains doing different things and then Polkadot provides kind of like a backbone layer. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you kind of, can, can you speculate as to, you know, uh, uh, the potential future for, or the potential uh, opportunity in these kind of solutions, do you think they will kind of replace uh, maybe dedicated uh, uh, blockchains which are not looking towards interoperability or will they mm-hmm. coexist and kind of uh, extend and embrace kind of thing? Totally, yeah. And, and this is obviously, caveat, big speculation on my part, but where I see the industry going is for projects that want to be or protocols that want to be 
uh, ubiquitous and solve many different types of use cases, the sidechain approach is the way to go. And that's why you're seeing some of the most interesting projects now like Polkadot, Cosmos, Horizon, that are going down this path. Um, Plasma going down this path. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's based on the fundamental realization that if you want to do a whole bunch of things on a network, you don't want to get, you know, jam all of these different types of transactions through the same, um, you know, pipe, right? Because you're, you're going to have congestion and then you're going to have this like, uh, fight for real estate on that network. Yeah. And if you, if you want to be, to really scale out to be like a, a broad, ubiquitous, you know, set of use cases, I, I think you have to think about modular architectures. And this is where sidechains come in very well is like with our system you could run as an example with v1 like a thousand blockchains in parallel like like i said so you can have a lot of different blockchains that solve a lot of different functions on the market that don't have to be related to each other in any different way or in any way and they don't have to compete with each other for resources because they have their own layer ones right they just happen to be sharing like a common main chain just for like proof uh, verification now for block for blockchains that and, and within that class, like you said, these are all like one, you can view them as one class of projects that are really vying for that like big infrastructure, solve lots of use case, cases kind of market. Um, sidechains make a lot of sense. And within there, there are differences, like difference between Horizon and say like Polkadot or Cosmos is we replace the, the idea of a validator and trusted set of validators with cryptographic circuits. Like that's our big innovation. So get rid of those validators which are also super expensive and like the, to be able to win the right to launch your own parachain is a super expensive thing because security is provided by uh, how much resources you commit into it and making sure that those validators don't get uh, hijacked, right? Uh, ours is different. Ours is like we have snark circuits actually that are used for security. So it's it, it, it's a, just a different approach that is just more decentralized by its fundamental, fundamental nature and much less costly. Right? So that's our approach to that market. Now, for other use cases where they're kind of like singular use cases, and here you can view like Bitcoin is just the classic example, it's use case, store of value. And maybe there are different people that disagree with that, but if you consider its, its main use case as store of value, then it need not uh, adopt like this sidechain, blockchain, and blockchains um, architecture because it's solving a singular use case and it does it really well right now. So it need not evolve to try to solve other problems that it, it just doesn't, you know, other people can do a lot better with different stacks. Um, so that's the way that I view the world uh, evolving is that you're going to see function specific chains that do some things really well and they dominate in the class and there'll still be competition. I, I as an economist, I, I really don't believe in, you know, uh, monopolies that are going to rule everything. You have two dominant forces in this world. And you have, when you think economically, one force is network effects. And this is where like maximalists on any particular chain, they, they just get stuck on network effects and they're easy to understand. The bigger your network, the more valuable your network and the higher the switching costs of your network. So therefore, one network is going to rule them all. Okay, well, that's one force, but you can't ignore the other reality is that um, you need constant innovation. And for constant innovation, you need a lot of trial and error. So this is like the thing of you always want new entrants to enter the market and try like new parameters for everything, new ways of doing things and just be extremely innovative. So I think the the way the evolution of the industry will, will work will really be kind of a balancing act that will, is, by the way, not static at all. This is a very dynamic interacting system where you have network effects competing against innovation effects. And I think you're going to see a world where it'll be a rich ecosystem with lots of different you know, participants that specialize in different ways. That's a great answer. And it's kind of very interesting that you brought up the example of Bitcoin. And uh, it's, it kind of sets up <laughs> almost this perfect segue into another question I wanted to ask, 
So uh, if I'm, uh, and it's just a uh, thing. Bitcoin basically very recently kind of committed to uh, upgrading their network to support uh, Schnorr signatures. So the whole mm-hmm. taproot uh, thing, right? And yep. uh, so it's kind of ironic, you know, it's four years down and they're finally thinking that smart contracts <laughs> might be a good idea that they want to bring in. Right, so, right, exactly. Ev- ev- evolution, evolution is possible just very, very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And, and hey, they may find out that there's really no point to it because no one's going to want to do smart contracts there. People are going to want to do smart contracts on Ethereum, Polkadot or Horizon. Right, just, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, they seem to have lost the narrative there. Right? They've, they've kind of uh, justified this kind of slow evolution by saying, you know, we are gold and we're not going to change and this and that. No. Right. It's like uh, it's, it's all they're going to probably be victims of that particular narrative. But uh, the segue that that it kind of uh, uh, brings in, uh, and this is what I was curious about, is obviously uh, Horizon, as far as I can understand, is the main net at least. Uh, is not uh, about storage of information or smart contracts or any of that. It's it's just focused on uh, the proof uh, verification of and uh, the transfer of value. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, obviously, the side chains are going to be uh, this place where you can actually do all of this. Do you have, uh, in terms of the new site, the recommended side chain or the toolkit that you're building? Uh, do you have any ideas on to how you're going to build the? Uh, I mean, if you, if you are going to build and a smart contract layer uh, or a smart contract framework or something that 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 uh, developers can use uh, and if so do you have any specific ideas into what kind of uh, architecture would it be like uh, solidity or using something like that or are you planning to just use some other kind of language or something for building these things yeah, so for sure. And this is actually a problem that we have kind of like a, a little bit of a disconnect where we have such cool technology and we're really far down that like R&D innovation frontier. But at the same time, we are lagging as just like a, a useful ecosystem. So we're, we're lagging on these ecosystem tools that are, you know, not, you have a plethora of them in like the Ethereum ecosystem as an example. So where we are now is we're in a, a period of rapid catch up. So as we're delivering the platform to market, we also just have been building out a product engineering team that's focusing on nothing but these uh, like developer tools that are going to make it easier to build with our, our system. It's so like in, in the early days or even up until recently, our engineers were really just focused on like the hardcore R&D and protocol development. And then you mm-hmm. would, we would work with like our BD team would bring in like a, you know, say like a big enterprise and the enterprise would, you know, say, okay, this is really interesting. Our engineers love your technology. Now, how can we build this like NFT portal that we want? Like, okay, well, we can obviously do it in theory, but hey, we don't have any of the tools ready right now. So just bear with us. So the way that the smart contracting works with with our sidechain system is you would actually program your conditional logic into specialized data boxes directly into the blockchain. And the consensus of that chain would enforce the the rules that you program into the data boxes. And all the program is done, done in Java, so we don't have a separate programming language for it which from a usability perspective, we thought was really good as our first V1 product to make it just widely accessible to developers around the world. Now, the reality is we know that we're going to need a whole bunch of other middleware over time to make it even easier to write uh, conditional logic and use these blockchains. Because if you program your your business logic or your, your other smart contract logic directly into the blockchain, in order to add other functionality outside of the, the discrete set that you, you pre-program, you need to basically do a blockchain hard fork. And this is not the most 
user-friendly thing to do. And, you know, we do hard forks, you know, every, every, uh, you know, couple quarters when we do main chain up upgrades, they're not easy, especially as you get bigger, you scale and you have a ton of integrations across the ecosystem. So we know that we're going to have to build a whole bunch of middleware that's going to make it a lot easier to just to deploy smart contracts in a seamless way for people that have less, um, you know, blockchain experience. All that's to come. We, we built a product engineering team whose job is to do nothing more than to make these middleware tools available to, to the market. That, that's awesome. Actually, honestly, I think that's, that's, I think the one missing piece of in your, in your offering that would make it kind of like, uh, complete, you know, and, uh, one of the things actually, uh, I wanted to kind of, uh, maybe suggest was to have a look at, uh, you know, some of the, uh, offering, uh, some of the stuff that Polkadot has done, mm -hmm. uh, on that because they have this, uh, substrate framework. Uh, which I found quite, uh, I mean, I, I, as a software engineer, <laughs> I found quite interesting because, and, and kind of intuitive because they have this very modular system where they look at, uh, modules from a, the actual, uh, the actual business value, right? So it's, it's not just, okay, this is the networking layer and this is the application layer. This is more, they, they more have things like, okay, if you want to build a DAP, uh, that has a, uh, wallet attached to it. This is or or has a payments layer. So how how would you actually? So they've got kind of like uh, little modules that kind of help you over there. So it's it's it, there's, there's there's a lot of ways to kind of skin that cat. And uh, you know, like you said, you've got a good uh, base uh, language in Java uh, that that kind of uh, probably uh, helps. Uh, uh, at least at least it makes it's familiar to most people. So it's not that big uh, jump. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. So we, we uh, certainly need to keep adding more usable tools to, to the stack so that we can have a whole bunch of different modules. The, the way that our tools toolkit works now, our SDK, is we build modules on there. So we're, you know, we're right now working on like, uh, we, we're kind of starting from scratch in a way where now that the platform's there, now we need to catch up on things like, you know, like ERC20, ERC771. Uh, other NFT, like a semi-fungible uh, standard. We do all that stuff ourselves now. And right now we're actually kicking off our own tokenization standards, modules to do different types of tokenization, and then all the different functions that are required to support really things that the market wants today. And and I think one value-added uh, piece of it obviously would be the snarks and the uh, zero-knowledge expertise that you guys have if you could kind of put it into libraries and kind of make it available. I think you're already doing that in a way where I think it's called Ginger. You have an open source yep, library called Ginger, Exactly. Right? Yeah, we have a really cool cryptographic library. If if you can say that crypto libraries are cool, we have one called <laughs> GingerLib that is uh, everyone, every cryptographic engineer should check out. Right. Awesome. So this is kind of like a, uh, it's a, I'm kind of get kind of mentally getting a little bit of an idea of what's ahead for you guys. But if you want to kind of uh, maybe kind of lay out, uh, so obviously quarter three, you have uh, your main net release and you've got focused on uh, building that. And then beyond that, you have some ideas around, okay, uh, you want to build uh, the Aubro side chain uh, toolkit. And then part of that toolkit obviously will be all these pieces. Uh, is that, I mean, do you have anything, any ideas in terms of your roadmap beyond that? Uh, or maybe you just, just generally want to speculate a little bit about what, what your path forward is maybe beyond, uh, the, uh, you know, the first site after the first public site chain gets built. 
Right. Yeah. So there's a lot to it. And we're in, in the coming weeks, we're going to release the roadmap for that next release, which is the one that we're calling Lattice. It's the Lattice implementation, which is really the Ouroboros uh, implementation, um, the, really the first sidechain implementation. That's going to be delivered pretty quickly after the big Zendu release. So the, the big Zendu protocol um, upgrade is the thing that's kind of in, in the audit integration and system testing phase right now. Once that goes live, as early as maybe three months, three, four months after that, we may have another substantial release, which is really the, the Ouroboros implementation called Lattice. Now, from there, we're going to have a whole bunch of other releases that do more like middleware and tools and, and performance or uh, functionality improvements to, or even like UX, UI improvements to our, to our SDK, just to make it easier for people to really build and simultaneously, our team is going to be releasing some really important uh, side chains using our stack. So these are going to be like the ZK audit chain that we talked about with Celsius. We're going to have a product, uh, product with IOTA. We're going to have a product with uh, another large uh, blockchain project that we haven't announced publicly yet. So I won't name the name, but basically we're building out like a, a marketing <laughs> how do I say it? like a multi-level marketing sidechain basically is what oh, it is. Right. It, it's really okay. used it to encapsulate with zero knowledge the business logic of incentive program to get people to build out like the the community of a blockchain ecosystem and, and this is with a big project that's focusing on like merchants adoption so really the the, the biggest use case there is to incentivize merchant adoption around the world for this cryptocurrency so that, it's a really interesting project where they're using our stack and we're partners to really help them hit the market in a meaningful way. And then we have a whole bunch of others from there. We have uh, like large media companies that we're, we're talking to right now. Um, probably like one, one indicator is we just, by we, I mean, Horizon Labs just closed a, a $6.6 million seed round um, really to build out its product engineering team. That's the main focus of it. But the investors in the seed round are really important because they really come from like the media industry. So we're going to have a lot of uh, interesting use cases that flow from our investors. Um, so more, more news on that as we, we get the PR out to market. But um, just tracking who's investing in the company, you'll be able to see like where we're going to be placing the technology in the near future. Yeah, awesome. And I'm already thinking about media, NFT, privacy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's all, exactly. It's all kind of coming, coming into no, but you're right. That, that's our that's our big angle, right? We we don't want to compete head to head with other players that do some things really well. We want to really add value. We don't want to just replicate and duplicate things on the market. We we want to add Absolutely. value. Our value adds on the ZKP side. There there aren't many mm -hmm. tech you know uh, tech companies out there that can really bring these things to market on blockchains. Right. I mean, it's it's uh, that's that's great uh, to hear, and uh, I'm I'm look I'm, it made me quite excited about uh, you know Horizon's uh, future. Uh, so uh, just for our viewers, if if uh, they were to find out, uh, want to find out more about Horizon, maybe get involved in the community. Uh, obviously, the development part is a little early, but uh, if they just want to keep in touch and uh, keep a tab on the project, where where can they actually find more information like that? Yeah. Yeah, so horizon.io, Zen, like our ticker, right? The crypt cryptocurrency. So horizon.io is the one-stop shop for really everything. But you know, depending which um, you know path you want to go down, if you can click the developer tab, and you'll, you'll have a whole bunch of developer tools. You'll find our SDK. You'll find our GitHub. Uh, you'll find our you know, Horizon Early Adopter program, which is really geared for developers to give you special early access and tools and training. 
Um, nice. You'll find our uh, Horizon developer environment, which is really like a turbocharged bounty program for devs. And then if you want to just come in on the community side, maybe you're an entrepreneur, maybe you're just a crypto enthusiast, you can come into like a, I would recommend our Discord channel. We have a very active, uh, friendly Discord channel. You can come in, brainstorm ideas, see what's going on. We do what we something we call weekly insiders. So basically, every Monday, we open up to the world our team calls. So the world can actually listen in to our team calls and hear just like weekly updates on what the team's doing. Uh, so it's a fun thing that join our Discord channel or Discord um, server, and you can actually listen into our weekly insiders. You can talk to the team directly. It's just a fun place to, to join. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Uh, KK, uh, do you have any thoughts or insights you want to share? Sure. I mean, yeah, I think uh, this has been a really wonderful conversation. To kind of give my two cents before we wrap up, uh, I think you're building a very useful ecosystem, like you said, with ZK. And, and you're looking to serve many different use cases with it, right? So I think, you know, if you can provide a viable solution to enterprises to place their data onto a public blockchain, maintaining their privacy and security, that in itself is a major step in terms of mass adoption for blockchain crypto as a whole. So yeah, all the best with what you're building. I really appreciate you guys saying that. And actually, I'll, I'll throw a quick shout out there. Our CTO, Alberto Garofalo, did a great interview on the ZK podcast. So for any of your listeners that want to just deep dive on how we're specifically applying SNARKs and we're doing it in three different ways, that, that's a nice resource just to kind of get a, a quick overview. Uh, yeah, sure. Like quick, I mean, I mean like an hour. <laughs> so. Yeah, we are, we are big fans of the ZK podcast. So I'll, I'll make sure I'll put, a, I'll put a link in the show notes. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rob. Uh, it has been a great conversation. And uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, hearing a lot more about Horizon and maybe... We can have another uh, session uh, uh, after you've uh, released a few more pieces to your roadmap. Yes, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, folks, that was Rob Viglioni from Horizon Labs. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And also you can learn more about us on bcdialogues.com. Thanks again for joining. See you next time.